<clears throat> I love that song. Uh, I hate it. I'm going to have to ask if you would to pay extra close attention this morning. I'm excited to be back at Pitts. I had a wonderful time last time, but I am uh, going to be able to project myself as I normally would, enthusiastic preaching. I, uh, I hate it. I don't know if I shared when I was here before, but some years ago I developed a problem, and that is a lung problem. And so if you would, if you'd pay extra close attention and not be moving around, I hate it when this happens. I've had a real busy year and been preaching a lot. So if you would, just pay extra close attention. It's embarrassing, but it's not easy to function on just one lung. And so hopefully uh, as the week goes on, it will get better. But thank you if you would. And it just got better. Aren't you glad it just got better? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Oh, that's going to be a long week here. In fact, you probably wouldn't even come back again. And so, but I do, I do love that song. And I do love, it's been wonderful to worship here. I got to hear the choir twice, and it's a sweet spirit here. And uh, it'd be terrible if you couldn't preach after that. Um, every session of how to actually enjoy being a Christian, we're going to have a set of notes for you where you can take them home, you follow along here, you can take some notes, and then you can take them home. And each person needs to get their own copy. You don't need to share them. And this is what this morning's look like. If you manage to get in by our ushers without getting one of these, will you raise your hand, lift it up real high, and keep them up so that we can get them to you? Lots of men all over the place down here on the left front. And uh, good, lots up there. Thank you. Just keep your hands up. A lot over here in the corner. Thank you. If you'll keep them up, they will get to you. I appreciate it. And you'll be glad that you got a copy. It was very interesting that the quartet sang, in part that he touched me. And a key line in that is, oh, the joy that floods my soul. Now, that's very great tie-in with what we're going to talk about this week. Because I've entitled this whole week, how to actually enjoy being a Christian. See, God did not save you, if you're saved, just to give you eternal life, but he did it to give you abundant life. Notice what Jesus said. If you'll turn to the inside there, the first page, notice what Jesus said in John 10.10. And remember, a lot of the times I like for us to read these verses together rather than me read them to you. So let's read John 10.10 together aloud. Read it with me. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Then later on, Jesus is praying. Maybe you've advanced that slide a couple spots up there. Um, Later on, Jesus was praying to his father, and he said this, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. So he's getting ready to be betrayed. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He says, I'm coming to see you, Father, but I'm saying these things while I'm still in the world. Why? So that... They may have the full measure of my joy within them. If y'all could move that slide on about the third scripture there, it may be hung up every now and then those things do that. So here's Jesus. He said, I come that they could have eternal life and they could have it to the full. They could have abundant life. They could have a life of joy. And I want them to have the full measure of my joy within them. Yet in spite of Jesus just clearly saying that, the fact is tons and tons of believers or tons and tons of people who say they're believers don't have 
the joy of the Lord. You remember that little children's song? I always hesitate to lead anything because I sing so poor. But do but you remember that song many of you may have learned as a child? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then you're... If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Now, now when it says, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. You know that is actually a scriptural principle. The Bible says that. Read with me Proverbs 15, 13. Let's read it together aloud. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. In other words, if I've got joy in my life, it's going to show up on my face. I was preaching First Baptist Church, Clarksville, Tennessee. Big, big church. And uh, as we did here, we had a time of greeting during the, during the music during the service, and uh, when we stopped in the middle of a song, the minister of worship said, now folks, I want you to do this. We want to greet one another, and I want you to go to two or three people around you and say to them, I know I don't look like it, but I have the joy of the Lord. Now, the fact is, there are a whole lot of people that don't look like they have the joy of the Lord. So this week is all about how to actually enjoy being a Christian. And I'm not going to only exhort you to enjoy being a Christian, but I, we're gonna, I'm going to lead you, we're going to look at the Bible together about how to actually enjoy being a Christian. So we're going to look at five basics, five essentials that are crucial. If I'm going to actually enjoy being a Christian, if you're going to actually enjoy being a Christian, turn to page two and let's look at the first and most basic one of all, and that is, if you're going to actually enjoy being a Christian, you have to know for sure that you are one. This is foundational. See, I can't enjoy being something I'm not. Uh, I drove by the, the speedway on the way in. I watched Richmond race. I love NASCAR racing. You know, I, I would actually love to enjoy being a NASCAR driver. But I can't because I'm not one. I like baseball. You know, baseball season started. I would love to enjoy being a major league baseball player. But I can't because I'm not one. You know, in fleeting moments, I think, you know, I'd, I'd really like to enjoy the life of a millionaire. But I can't because I'm not one. See, you can't enjoy being something you're not. And I am convinced that in churches across America, although God said he wants us to know, lots of folks don't. In fact, just so we're all on the same page, I want you to read 1 John 5.13 with me. Let's read it. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So God has made it possible for me to know for sure. God has made it possible. He says, John says, these things I've written for this purpose so that you can know that you can do it. Yet I'm convinced in America this morning there are going to be thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of Christians or people, rather, who are sitting in churches, but they're not actually Christians. You say, well, Brother Dennis, that sounds pretty judgmental. Well, I don't mean it judgmental, but I, I don't just say that only from personal experience of being an unsafe church member, but I say it because of what Jesus said as recorded in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us a fast forward into judgment day. And I want you to read with me what Jesus said is going to happen on Judgment Day. Let's all read it aloud. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. So Jesus says, on judgment day, they're not going, he didn't say a few. Jesus didn't say some. Jesus said many, they call him Lord. Well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Yeah, Jesus, my Lord, Lord, Lord. And in fact, if you read those whole three verses, they're going to talk about, we did this for you, and we did that for you. Pastor, thank you for things you did. This is good. I did this, I did that. But Jesus is going to say, huh, no, you don't get to go into heaven. Depart from me. You're going to spend eternity separate from me. I don't know you. So there are going to be many people who say they're Christians. There are going to be many people who think they're Christians. Jesus said, not a few, not some, many. But they're not Christians. So that brings us to the question at top of page three. How can a person know for sure? I mean, on Judgment Day, Dennis, if there are thousands, millions, who knows how many, who, who are going to think they're Christians and say they're Christian, but they're not. How can a person know for sure they are a Christian? Well, when you start thinking about knowing for sure that I'm a Christian, probably one of the most prominent verses about Christianity, and I love this verse, is John 3.16. So let's read John 3.16 together. Read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I've asked so many people, are you a Christian? I say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God, you see. Well, notice James said, you believe there's one God, good. Even, even the demons believe that and shudder. You say, well, but Dennis, Dennis, Dennis I'm, not, I'm not just talking about God. I'm talking about Jesus. I mean, I believe in Jesus. Well, that's wonderful. Jesus is in his public ministry. He has an encounter with a demon-possessed man one day. And I want you to notice what the demon shouted him out of this man in Mark 5, 7. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God, you won't torture me. So demons believe in Jesus. See, intellectually believing in Jesus is not sufficient. So if intellectually believing, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. If that's true, how can a person know for absolute sure that they're a Christian? The Bible tells us, and the, probably the best, most succinct way to do that is found in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Let me give you the setting for 2 Corinthians 13.5. Paul is an apostle, and he goes out, and he's a missionary, and he starts churches. Well, when he starts churches and he leaves, he doesn't just drop them. He stays in touch with them. So one of the churches he started was a church at Corinth. And when he left, he'd been gone a while. They had some questions about, how should we be doing this? You know, there are new Christians and stuff in the church. So they sent word to him, and he penned a letter to them. We call it the book of 1 Corinthians. And he didn't just only address the things they asked about, but he slapped their hands for some things that were going on shouldn't be going on. They didn't like it very good. They sent word back to Paul. Paul, who do you think you are telling us what to do? You weren't even with Jesus. You weren't even one of the apostles. So Paul wrote another letter to them defending his apostleship, pointing out, yes, I am an apostle. We call that book 
or letter 2 Corinthians. And when he gets down toward the end of 2 Corinthians, toward the end of that letter, read with me what he said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Let's read it together. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? He said, hey, you're asking me to prove I'm an apostle. You prove you're a Christian. I want you to do this. You're telling me, Paul, you're not even possible. I want you to test yourself to see if you're a Christian. And you'll know Jesus is in you unless you fail the test. Now, understand, there has to be a moment in time when a person becomes a Christian. Uh, we're not born Christians. We're not raised Christians. The Bible teaches that, that, that we come into this world sinners. You know, that's why we don't have to teach our young children how to be selfish and lie and steal and want their own way. They come that way. We have to, we have to train them not to act according to that. But we're all sinners. And, and it's interesting. The Bible doesn't say that the punishment for sin is, so therefore you got to go to church. No. It doesn't say, so therefore you got to do better. Nope. The Bible says the punishment for sin is death. And it doesn't mean just physical death, but it means spiritual death. So we come into this world spiritually dead, separated from God. The Bible says the body without the spirit is dead. I spoke to my sister. I said, we want to go over this afternoon and visit mom and dad's graves uh, sites. We want to go over there. But when my mom died, when my dad died, they didn't die when their heart quit beating. They didn't die when the brainwaves start. Biblically, according to James, death is when the spirit leaves the body. The body without the spirit is dead. So physical death is when the spirit leaves the body. Spiritual death is, is when our spirit has left God. It's separated from God, and we come into the world that way. And so there has to be a time when we realize, man, man, I'm, I'm separated from God. God has to punish sin, but he didn't want to punish me, so he punished his son, Jesus, on the cross. So Jesus hung on the cross, and when God was punishing him for my sins, Jesus, the only time there's ever been a breach in the Godhead, Jesus said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? God turned his way, his face from his own son. And Jesus died, and his body spent three days in the grave, and his soul and spirit spent three days in hell. And then he rose from hell, he rose from the day, he rose from the grave, he conquered all those. You know, we just got through celebrating Easter to prove it was true. But see, the devil believes all that. There has to be a personal response to it. There has to be a time when we actually become a Christian, when we receive the Lord Jesus. But I'm convinced that sitting in churches all across America, and, and I say this lovingly, I mean, I really do, because I'm going to tell you, I was an unsaved church member when I was 31. There are probably lots of people here today even who there's been a time in your life when you walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, raised a hand, made a decision, but the fact is their lives evidence no reality of being a child of God. No reality. So I want to do what Paul said. Now Paul said, test yourselves. So we're going to test ourselves. I'm not going to test you. You're not going to test me. Don't worry about testing your husband, your parents, your children, your wife. We're going to test ourselves. Now, I always hated school. I liked friends, I liked girls, I liked sports, hated school. I hated tests. So I never liked taking tests. But if you got to take a test, you know, I, those essay tests, sometimes I could write a lot of bull, you know, and, and kind of squeak by. I hated multiple choice questions. You know, now, is it A or B or C's? I liked true-false. You know, 
Yes, simple. Yes, no. Yes, no. So we're going to make this test really, really easy. There are only going to be three questions. I never liked those 100 questions. Three questions on this test, and it's true, false. It's yes, no. And we're going to test ourselves, not somebody else, okay? So turn the page. Let's look at question number one on the test of test ourselves to see if we're really a Christian. Question number one, do I obey God's commands? Do I obey God's commands? See, the same book of the Bible we read, 1 John chapter 5, 13 says, I've written these things so you can know for sure you're a Christian. It gives us some of the ways that we know. And notice this one in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let's read this together aloud. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth's not any. Now, you know that no is not capitalized and underlined in the Bible. But I'm, I'm doing it because I want us to focus on this. He says, we know we've come to know him, which is just another synonym for becoming a Christian, being born again, being saved, repent, all, whatever it may be, trust, receive. They, they all refer to, to coming to faith in Christ. And he says, here's how we know it. If we obey his commands. He says, people who say, I'm a Christian, but they don't obey his commands, they're, they're, they're a liar. Truth's not in them. Uh, first church I was in uh, when I was saved, a little church in Summerfield, North Carolina. And uh, one of my wife's best friends was a lady by the name of Arnessa. Arnessa was one of the most godly women that my wife and I had ever known. And Arnessa was married to a guy who wasn't a godly man. Uh, he never saw him at church ever. He was big, rough, gruff, beard, motorcycle driver, bodybuilder, you know, all these kind. I mean, just, just a rough guy. And Ernest was very concerned about his salvation. So she told me one day, said, Dennis, would you go over to the house and share with Fields, witness to Fields? I said, I sure will. So she said, I'll leave the house on a certain night and come over to your house and stay with Jane and we'll pray and you can go over to witness to it. So I did. So she came, and I left, and I had a little New Testament. I kept it in my back pocket and uh, still have it in the car, and uh, I went to see. And I was a little nervous, I'll just be honest with you, because it's big, rough, gruff. And so I went up, I turned the driveway, and the front door, summertime front door of the house is open, and I went up the front door, and I rang the doorbell, and nobody came, and I knocked and rang, and nobody came. I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> went and come back in the car. Because, I mean, I'm just being honest. I was uh, very nervous. I was really scared. So I got in my car, and I put it in reverse. I started backing up, and I saw a shop out behind the house, and I saw him out there lifting weights. And I thought, oh, okay. So I parked. I got out, and I went in. I talked to him a bit, and I said, uh, Fields, Arnest has asked me to come over here and talk to you about becoming a Christian. He said, oh, I'm a Christian, Dennis. He said, I saved when I was 10 or 11 years old. And I remembered 1 John 2, 3, and 4. So I pulled out my New Testament, and I didn't, I wasn't about to read this to him, but I turned to it and I said, well, Fields, would, would you read these verses to me? We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth's not in him. I said, now, Fields, you're telling me you're a Christian, but Fields... You don't obey anything God says. You don't go to church. You don't read your Bible. You don't, you don't, you know, you just, your life has no evidence of obedience to the Lord. 
So let me ask you, you're in church, but your life, is your life characterized by obeying God? Nobody's perfect, but I mean, is that the characteristic, the pattern of my life? Is that the pattern of your life? You say, well, now, what kind of uh, commands are you talking about? Well, a little further in that chapter, he says, don't love the world, because if you love the world, the things that you, you don't have the love of God in you. And you know that across America today, millions of people being churches Sunday morning, that's the extent of their Christianity. Making decisions according to what pleases God, obeying God, that's not on their radar this week. You're going to be thinking about school, work, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, uh, uh, sports, this, that, the play out, whatever. I mean, thinking about God and obeying God, I want to live my life to please him this week. That's not going to be on tons of people's radar, you see. You say, well, Dennis, let's be real, be more specific than that, Dennis. Well, I'll just throw out a few, but I'll let the Holy Spirit point out the ones in your life, the ones in my life, okay? But one of the first commands, in fact, you know really the first command to a person who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what it is? It's be baptized. Publicly confess me, acknowledge me before people. But you know something? I've talked gobs of people say, I'm a Christian, and they've never, ever obeyed his first command to be baptized. That bothers me. That bothers me. And if you're here and you've never been baptized, either I'd say question where you're really saved or be sure you, you come today and publicly acknowledge him so you can, so you can be baptized. Another, here's another command. Be sexually pure. Here we live in the most sex-saturated society there's ever been. But in spite of that, God's commands don't change. He says be sexually pure. Don't, what's your thought life like? I don't know it. Only you know it. See, we're testing ourselves. I'm not testing you. You're not testing me. But, but, but what? Do you obey him about, about don't lust and don't have his pattern on? What about uh, tell the truth, don't lie? Is that telling the truth? Is that a characteristic? Is that obedience? And you can fill in the others. But you see, obedience is a proof of salvation. Again, there was another little short song. I ain't going to try to sing that one. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that we believe, to prove that we believe. Notice what he said a little further down in 1 John 3, 9 and 10. Read it with me. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Why not? Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. See, he says it's impossible for a child of God to have a pattern. Do we ever sin? Sure. Nobody, none of us are perfect. No, is it, do we slip up, mess up, choose to sin? Yeah. But the pattern, there cannot be a pattern of continuing to sin because we have God. We are children. God. God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sin. You say, well, Dennis, don't you believe in backsliding? Depends on what you mean by backsliding. If by backsliding, you mean can a Christian, somebody that's really saved, can they commit a sin, a grievous, a terrible sin, something upon? Yeah. Can they 
Can they, can they sin and, and maybe go a day or a week or a month and continue to sin? Sure. But you can't enjoy it. You can't enjoy it. You can't even enjoy coming to church. You know what? Your joy is gone when that, when, when that sin comes in, you see. Uh, you can't sin and get away with it. Notice what the writer of Hebrews said. Read Hebrews 12, verse 8 with me. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. He says, here's how you know you're, you're born of God, because you get disciplined when you sin. My sister, my only sibling, my sister Janice, her husband Keith are here. Uh, we have three children. Uh, Janice had three children, and her three children, we're around when they're young, and, and we're around she had, has great kids, but when they were little, if they misbehaved, was it my responsibility to discipline her children? No, they didn't belong to me. They weren't my children, they were her children. Was it her responsibility to discipline my children? No, because they belonged to me. God says, if you sin and you don't get disciplined, then just mark it up, you're a spiritual bastard. You're an illegitimate child, because that's what bastard means, an illegitimate child. You're an illegitimate child. You don't really belong to God. So, question number one. I can't answer it for you. You can't answer it for me. Do I obey God's commands? Turn the page. Question number two. Do I love other Christians? Do you know the love for other Christians, biblically, is a mark of salvation? Notice what 1 John 3, 14 says. Let's read this together aloud. Read it with me. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Now, the phrase pass from death to life is another term, another synonym for being born again, being saved. See, before salvation, we're living in darkness under Satan's rule, kingdom of darkness. But when we come into the kingdom of light, see, uh, we, we're living in spiritual death, and now we're spiritually alive. And so he says, we know, we know, ain't no question about it. It's not 99, 44, 100, we know we pass from death to life. We become a Christian. Why? Because we love our brothers. Now, he's not talking about brothers and sisters in your family. He's talking about other Christians. Um, and, and love I don't have to tell you this, you know this, love is not just an emotion. Love manifests itself in actions. We quoted John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave. Look what Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. What did he do? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how do I manifest love? How do you manifest love? We say we love them, but how do we, how do, how do, how do we show our love? Several ways come to my mind. Number one, if you love somebody, you want to be with them. You just want to be with them. You want to be around them. Uh, pastor mentioned, I grew up near, not too very far from here. And when I was 18 years old, I was working with a finance company, and they offered me a transfer to Greensboro, North Carolina. And I only knew one person in Greensboro. He lived in a boarding house. He was engaged to a girl at UNCG. So one Sunday morning in May 1964, I loaded all of my possessions into my prized 56 Ford Crown Victoria and drove from Charlotte to Greensboro. And I checked into this boarding house, 200 East Bessemer Avenue, 
And my friend had left me a note. I got there about 2 o'clock, 1.32, and he left me a note that said, meet me at 4 o'clock at UNCG. Now, this is the first year of UNCG being co-ed. They still, is predominantly girls, you know, like 5,000 girls. And it had been women's college before that. And so I read that note, meet me over at UNCG at a certain dorm, and I said, yes. So I was supposed to meet him at 4. I got there about 2 o'clock. And that's... <laughs> That's like throwing a fox in a chicken coop or something, you know? Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm surrounded by all these good-looking girls. And I am trying to get a date for that evening. And it's exam time, it really was. But I probably, perhaps, was not as charming a person then as I am now, you know? So I was having trouble getting a date. And so I kept trying to get a date and trying to get it. I remember to this day. There was this one girl, he, she was so good looking, I actually pinned her in the corner. And I said, I'm not letting you out of here until you agree to go out with me. And she ducked under my arm. She said, well, I'm not going out with you. I kept trying to get a date, kept trying to get a date. Finally, my friend gets there at four. She says, hey, Dennis, you get a date yet? I said, no. Uh, I said, but there was this one good looking girl. Woo, she was so good looking. He said, she wouldn't go out with you? I said, no. He said, don't worry about it. My fiance's got a pretty good looking roommate herself, and I know she'll go out with you. So he calls his fiance. I got a friend here. Would you ask your roommate to go out? She said, sure. So we go down and meet them at the elevator. This is for the days of co-ed dorms. You know, so you can be in the lobby, but you don't go upstairs. So the elevator doors open, and out stepped his fiance and her roommate, that good-looking girl that wouldn't go out with me. She saw me. She got back in the elevator. <laughs> this is all true, by the way. And so I jumped in the elevator with her. She said, I'm going up. I said, if you go up, I'm going up. She said, you can't go up. I said, if you go up, I'm going up. And so we're back and forth and back and forth. And a big crowd, 20, 30 people, is around the hall all watching what's going on. Her friend says, please, please, please go out with him, please. She said, well, for you, I'll just go out and get a bite to eat. So we get in the back seat of the car. And my friend, his fiance in the front seat, we go over the Boring Castle Drive-In Restaurant, West Market Street in Greensboro. We're in the back seat, me and this girl, and I finally keep scooting. I get her pretty well pinned against the side, and I put my arm around her, and I looked over at her, and I said, Jane, will you marry me? She said, you're a nut. You're crazy. No, I won't marry you. But June 13th, we'll be married 47 years. <laughs> now, now, she deserves much credit in heaven, I'll tell you. Now, here's what I want to tell you about. I want to talk about between the day I met her and the time we got married. I, we met in May 64. We married in June 65. 400 days from the day we met to the day we got married. Of those 400 days, we dated Sunday. We couldn't date Monday. She had exams. We dated Tuesday. We only missed two other days in 400 days. So 397 days out of 400 days, I am around Jane. You know why? Because some might say, well, Dennis, you've got to go see that girl. No. Nobody said, well, it's about time for a date. I guess you're going to have to go. No, I wanted to be with her. I just wanted to be around her. So do you want to be around other Christians? Do you really? Uh, there, there, there are reasons and exceptions and problems, all kinds of, there are things. But you know, in, in uh, America today... About eight or nine-tenths of the people, 75, 80, 90% of all the folks in church this morning, they won't be back tonight. 
I know you're much different here, but they won't be back tonight because Sunday morning's the extent of it. I mean, Wednesday night, prayer meeting, forget about that. Talking about going down the river to pray, they're they not, not relishing that, you see. Uh, and, and I think about this because I remember what it was like before I was a Christian. Uh, married 19, didn't become a Christian when I was 31. If I, if I had to go to church, I would. I would kind of get all fervent and fired up a while, and I'd get real cold. Uh, I remember I would be, uh, I mean, there were times I taught Sunday school, <laughs> outreach visitation, you know, get my wife off my back, make people happy, feel a little guilty, but, you know, nothing, no reality there. But I was a volunteer fireman. And I used to hate to go to church so bad, I literally would pray this. Y'all got a fire department side where I was a volunteer fireman in Summerfield? I would literally pray this on Sunday morning. I'm not making this up, seriously. I'd get up on Sunday morning and say, God, please let something catch on fire today. God, now, I don't want anybody's house or barn to burn. Could we have a grass fire or a field fire or something, Lord? Because if the fire siren went off and I got out of the house, I didn't have to go to church. I got saved on Wednesday afternoon about 420. I came in to help. I was riding down I-40 between Winston and Greensboro. I came in. My wife stand at the kitchen sink. I put my arm around her. I told her I'd been saved. And she cried, and I cried. And you know what I said? I said, let's go to church tonight. Because all of a sudden, I had a new want to. I wanted to be around these people that I hadn't wanted to be around. Uh, and, and so I'm not saying, you know, every time the door's open, I say, but I'm saying, you want to be around. But what about even outside of church? Who would you rather hang with during the week? Would you rather hang with lost people and people of the world? I mean, we're, we've got to hang with them and witness to them. But I mean, just to have fun and be with Would you rather be around people that aren't saved or people that are saved? See, love for other Christians is a characteristic that manifests itself in wanting to be with them. If you love somebody too, it also manifests in how you treat them. How, how, how you treat them. Do you know how we treat people such a characteristic of love? God had Paul write a whole chapter. We, 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter. Because it says love does this. Love's gentle. Love's kind, you see. So, so if I love someone, it's going to manifest in interpersonal relationships. And it's going to manifest in church relationships. I mentioned to you, I was, uh, I'd be out of church and I'd be in church. and I was in First Baptist Church of Summerfield, North Carolina most of those years, and uh, I was an unsaved church member, so we used to have monthly church business meetings, church conferences. I think maybe they went to quarterly, but they had monthly. Well, I was the person who was always against everything. I was the person who wanted to argue and fuss in the church business meeting. I, could, I was the thorn in the side of the pastor. Uh, uh, Curtis Harrington was a pastor. I remember one time, I can still see it. He got so mad and so upset, his face was so red, he left and went outside so he could not just calm down and stay cool. I mean, I was just ugly as I could be. And then I'd left that church and gone to another church, and there I was saved. God immediately convicted me about how I used to act. So I went back to that pastor. I said, Dr. Harrington, I need to ask you to forgive me. I was here, and I know I caused you untold grief and didn't have any desire to follow your leadership, but the problem was I was lost. And I said, I got saved, and I want to ask you to forgive me for being so ugly here at church. He said, I forgive you. I said, in fact, Pastor, I'd really like to apologize and ask forgiveness from the whole church. He said, why don't you take the Sunday night service and do that? And I was kind of hoping he would because I kind of sensed God might want me to be a preacher. And so the first sermon I ever preached... Sunday night, First Baptist Church, my text was John 13, 34, and 35. By this, all men will know 
that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And I ask the whole church to forgive me. You say, well, Dennis, are you saying people that cause trouble in the church are lost? Probably. Probably. <laughs> Probably. I'm not saying they can't be carnal, backslidden Christians, but my experience of being, most of the time they're just lost. Most lost. So, but because if you love people, could be you're out of fellowship bad, but, but you know, a lot of times that way. You treat them different. Uh, there are many things. One more just real quickly and we'll move on. If you love people, you want to share with them. Man, when you're a parent and you have a child, do you want to give them things? Do you want to do for them? Husbands, do you want to do for your wives? Wives, do you want to do for them? You know, Christians, do you want to do for others? Do you, do you want, maybe when there's a project, when there's, when there's an opportunity to give, when people in their family, church family have a need, you know, what you're like, well, they're taking another benevolence offering. Or is it, I get to help my brother and sister. Notice what 1 John 3, 18 and 19 says. Read it with me. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. This is how we know it. We know we belong to the truth, not because we say we love them, because our actions show it. How can I be sure I'm a Christian? Question number one, testing myself, do I obey God's commands? Question two, do I love other Christians? Question three, Do I have the assurance of the Holy Spirit? Do I have the assurance of the Holy Spirit? Now, if you'll notice on that sidebar, this is not everything the Holy Spirit does, but these are some of them. The Bible says we are born of the Spirit. In other words, we don't just make a decision and we get saved. We're actually, as a spiritual birth takes place, we're born in the family of God. That's by the Holy Spirit. And so he comes in, he seals us, he indwells us, he guides us, he teaches us, he gives spiritual gifts. But one of the reasons he comes in is to give assurance of salvation. Notice 1 John 3, 24. Read it with me. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. See, there's not a question about, am I saved or I feel good, you know, question this and that. But we can know it and we know it by the Holy Spirit. See, you don't get assurance of salvation when you join the church. You don't get assurance of salvation when you uh, try to do right and live good. You don't get assurance of salvation when you walk an aisle or make a decision. You get assurance when the Holy Spirit comes inside, you see. When we realize, man, I'm a sinner. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for paying the penalty. And after they killed you, rise from the dead. And we don't just believe. We say, I call upon you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Come into my life, you see. And, and one of those big reasons he comes in is to give us assurance. About a year before I was saved, my wife Jane was saved. Now, whereas before I'd been very immoral and I became moral, my wife was very moral. She took the kids to church when I didn't go. She's always acting faithful in church. But she said, if they ever told us in church that you could know for sure you were saved, I don't remember it. She said, either we were never taught that you could know for sure, or else it just kind of went over my head. And she wrestled with this thing for about a year. You know, it's pretty embarrassing. You've been teaching, you've been active in church all your life. And, but one Sunday, she said, that's it. i got to get it settled. And that Sunday night at church, I wasn't there. I was before I was saved. She trusted Jesus Christ. And 
She said, oh, it's so good. Man, I can read the Bible and understand it. She said, oh, it's so good to know for sure. Now, you see, she didn't have that. Notice what 1 John 4, 13 says. Read it with me. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. See, the Bible says God spoke the universes into place. The galaxies. The Bible says God knows the stars by name. You look up there on the best night you can ever see and show stars, and we can only see a fraction of them, and God named them all. When that God that made the trees and the earth and the water and the animals and the universe, when that God comes and lives in little old me, that's not a, I'm wondering about it. That's a for sure deal. And he puts his Holy Spirit in me so that I can know for sure. So let's grade our papers. Turn the page. Now, I always hated when you had to take a test and you had to turn the papers in. The teachers sent them back, you know, C, D, A, B. I was never a good student. I told you that. I came home from school one time and I had, I had uh, four F's and one D. My daddy said, son, how exactly do you explain this report card? I said, I guess I just concentrated too much on one subject. <laughs> and so, <laughs> it's, just, it's just not, this wasn't a really good sound, you know. So, man, I used to hate to take those tests and turn them in and, you know, wonder what's it going to be like when it comes back. So we're not going to turn our papers in. I'm not going to grade your test. And then, if you didn't have to do that, I even hate it when I had to give it to a friend. You know, you change papers and grade them. I'd always give it to somebody. I thought, maybe they can help me out here, you know. I wasn't saved. You know, help me out here. I, but the best kind is when you graded your own paper. We're just going to grade our own papers, okay? So let, let's just grade our papers. Here's question number one. Do I obey God's commands? Do you obey God's commands? Now, I'm not talking about being perfect, but I'm talking about is your desire and is your life characterized by obedience to God? Or is Sunday morning pretty much the extent of most of your concern about things, God? Only you know that. True, false, yes, no. Question number two. Do I love other Christians. Now, do you say you love them, but you don't show it? Or do you kind of act like it, but you know it's just a show. You're not really, you don't really love them. You don't really want to be around them and care about them and do for them. So just uh, grade your own paper there. Third question. Do I have the assurance of the Holy Spirit? Now I've heard people say, don't let the devil cause you to doubt your salvation. I may have said that sometime. I don't believe that for one minute. I don't believe the devil wants anybody to doubt their salvation because if they doubted it, they might get saved. No, he wants them to be one of the many who are going to say to me one day, Lord, Lord, thinking they're Christians, but they're not. You say, well, Dennis, you're trying to make me doubt my salvation. Absolutely, if it's at all possible. I am. Because I can't out-argue the Holy Spirit. See, if you have assurance, the Holy Spirit gives assurance. I, I, I can't argue against the Holy Spirit. I can't argue against the flesh. I can't argue against a not being born again. And if there's any way to make you, I absolutely want you, yes. Because we've seen verse after verse after verse after verse that God wants us to know for sure. 
Read with me 1 John 5, 13, the verse we started with. Let's read it together. I write these things unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now think about this. Think about all the things in this world that we're sure of. I mean, really. Somebody asks you, uh, do, do you, live, uh, you live in Cabarrus County? Um, I, I hope I do. I hope I do. No, you live where you, you know where you live. Uh, someone says, uh, are, are you married? Uh, I think I am. I think I am. <laughs> you know where you're married or not. You go to the bank tomorrow. You want to get $200. You go up to the teller and say, I'd like to withdraw $200. They say, uh, do you have an account here? I feel like I do. <laughs> no. You know whether you got a bank account or not. And we come to the single most important question in your life and eternity that dwarfs into insignificance every other thing you could be sure about. Are you sure? Do you know for sure you're a Christian? You can't, be some, you can't enjoy being something you're not. And you can't enjoy being something if you don't know for sure that you are. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And close your eyes. I was born August the 1st, 1945 in Mercy Hospital here in Charlotte. But you know something? I don't remember a thing about it. Everything I know about my birth, somebody told me. But I know for sure I was born because I have the characteristics of a human being. The spiritual birth is just as real. If you've been spiritually born, there will be characteristics. Now I want to ask you, just out of respect for those around you, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes so nobody worry about who's looking but me. How many of you would say, Dennis, I am a Christian. I've been spiritually born again, and I passed the test. I have the characteristics. I know for sure that I'm a Christian. There's no doubt about it. If that's true, I'm going to ask you very, very quietly to raise your hand and lift it up in there very quietly and hold it up high and keep it up. Now, what are you saying when you raise your hand? You're saying, Dennis, I'm a Christian. I know for sure I am. I passed the test. There's no doubt in my mind about it. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now, if you just had your hands up right now, I'm going to ask you to be praying fervently. Many people did not raise their hand. And while Christians have their heads bowed, their eyes closed, and they're praying for you, if you're here this morning and you couldn't raise your hand, and that bothers you, I'm going to ask you to raise your head and open your eyes and look up at me. Now, I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you, but I am going to, I'm just going to talk to you a minute. It's going to take me a while. We've got a lot of folks here, and I'm going to start on the left. You, you couldn't raise your hand, and that bothers you. If you'll just raise your head and open your eyes and look up at me. And this is where it helps Christians. If you'll have your heads bowed, I can spot those heads that are up as well. And I'm just looking around. Christians, you continue to pray. You couldn't raise your hand. And that bothers you that you could not raise your hand. You just raise your head and open your eyes and look up at me. 
Lord God, this is a big crowd, and it's hard to see in every part of the balcony. And Father, I didn't see anyone looking at me. Lord, perhaps I should have had them raise a hand. But regardless, Father, I pray, I ask you, oh God, show people their condition before you, Father. Lord, let them know that it's not about praying a prayer, saying some words. Lord, it's not about them doing their part. Lord, it's just surrendering everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you. Lord, I praise your name that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And God, as many people as did not raise their hand to start with, Father, I know your Holy Spirit's working in hearts right now. God, where the people have been faking it and they know they're not saved, whether they're wondering, whether they have questions, oh God, whatever it is, I pray, Lord, they'll respond. They'll come to Jesus today. They'll be able to know for sure, to do the most basic thing in actually enjoying being a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to stand and sing a song of invitation, and I want to tell you about my experience. My wife has been claiming to be a Christian for 31 years, been active in the church all her life. When she came that Sunday night to acknowledge Jesus Christ, nobody said, you, what have you been doing? You've been teaching Sunday school. You've been working with kids. You've been doing this. You know what happened? Everybody was saved. They rejoiced. That, 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 that Wednesday night, I went to church, and I'd been a hypocrite. People probably knew I had one lifestyle outside of church, but I'd be in our church. You know, when I acknowledged I trusted Jesus Christ, nobody threw rocks. Nobody got mad. The angels in heaven rejoiced, and everybody in the church rejoiced. And every church I've ever been in, maybe this is the first Sunday you've ever visited here. I'm telling you, this church will welcome you and love on you. Maybe you've been in this church 55 years. We, we have people in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, folks, regularly that get saved because they've been saying it, but really deep inside. And I'll tell you, the longer you go claiming to be a Christian, faking it or unsure, the more embarrassing it is. Like, can I, you know, what are people going to think? I'm telling you, people that are really saved are going to rejoice. And so I'm going to be praying, even though I couldn't see anybody raise their, their head, I'm going to be praying the Holy Spirit's working in your hearts. And from way up in the farthest part of the balcony, from down here, if you don't know for sure you're saved, we've seen over and over again, God wants you to know. And if you'll come to Jesus today, he'll make you a child of God. You can know for sure. First step in enjoying the abundant life. Don't let embarrassment, don't let fear, don't let the devil keep you where you are. You come, take the pastor in one of these other's hands. You come as we sing.